Okay, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. I know that some of you had trouble with this lesson because I heard from you. (laughs) And I like that. I do. I really appreciate that. And when I... When I told you back, I just said, just wait. I think, I think you're going to have a lot of your questions answered. I think you're going to see where maybe there's a problem. There was a problem. I think you're going to see it clarified. I thought that this lesson, when I first started studying, I thought, oh, good, it's going to be one of those nights that they'll be out of here by 730. <laughs> you won't be. I guarantee you, you won't be because we probably won't even start in the chapter. I want your Bibles open. I want your Bibles open to the 14th chapter. But I want you to take a look at something. I want you to take a look because I alluded to it in, in the prayer. I alluded to the fact that when you do a Bible study like this, when you start in a letter, just like any letter, None of us starts a letter that we receive from somebody in the middle. We always start from the beginning. We always watch a letter build on, on, on the next thought. A letter will usually flow and build with more information, more news. And that's exactly what Romans does. So there is a reason why this particular part of Romans comes at the tail end. Now, Paul is, I'm going to use the word assume. He's going to assume, but I'm also going to use another word, he expects. Paul expects you and I to have started with Romans chapter 1 and watched this letter build with instruction and news and learning and maturity because as we have gone over and over, as we would hit the therefores, we have repeated Romans over and over. I'm not going to do that tonight. But I am going to ask you, what does he expect you and I to be? Because what is he going to say in the very first line? He says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment or undisputable matters. So if we are to accept him whose faith is weak, what is, what is he expecting us to be? You bet. He is expecting you and I to be strong. So, there must be a difference between weak and strong. Now, when you became a Christian, when you went to the cross of Christ, when when you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, when that humbling moment, when you almost feel like your tail between your legs, Why I always say the day of your salvation is the worst day of your life before it turns into the best. Because you have to see yourself the way you are. 
Now, so often when you go to the cross and you become a Christian, because according to the book of Acts, a Christian is one who chooses to follow Christ. That's what a Christian is. It's the very thought of saying that I was born a Christian holds no water. Because Christian means you had to make a choice. You might have been privileged to be born in a Christian home where Christ was going to be taught, but there isn't one of us that were automatically born a Christian or that we just, like osmosis, just gradually became one. There was a moment in time when, and whether you can recall it or not, but there was an exact moment in time because how fast do you change from going to hell to going to heaven? How quick does it take you from being lost to found? How long does that take? How long does it take to become justified just as if you'd never sinned? How long does that take? I can't even do it quick enough. When you accepted Christ, when you said those words, I repent, I confess, I am nothing, I need a Savior. And when he, hear, when he hears those words, when his grace lavishes you instantaneously, and I've asked you before, we know that it was a moment in time, because what does heaven say happened when you did that, the angels in heaven, well, what did they do? They rejoiced. So you see, there has to be a moment that that happened. So to me, I thought that's when I became a Christian. I chose to follow Christ. And then I thought, okay, that's it. Then I'm a Christian. I wear the label. I love it. I'm grateful for it. But I didn't know that there was a difference between a strong Christian and a weak Christian. And I think that that should be very important as we go into this lesson tonight, that we see the difference. And that we are not content to be a weak Christian. Because I did some, I did some looking. I, did, I even just went to the Plano Dictionary to find out what constitutes weak. What, what does weak mean if you're weak? And it didn't take long for me to figure out that a weak Christian, yeah, has gone to the cross, has their ticket, but never really began to study how it is to live the eternal life now. It's just something you wait for. I got my ticket. Now I can live my life the way I want to because I know that when I die, I will go to heaven. And so here's the definition of weakness. Here's, here's what weak means. Weak means, and this is physical, you will, your body will grow weak if you are malnourished 
and you don't have any exercise. I mean, I saw this with Tom and Judy, I'm sure you saw it. I mean, he wasn't out of surgery, but a couple hours and he was, they had him on his feet because they've learned that you need to keep moving. Otherwise, those muscles go weak. And so you need that mobility. I mean, I even, this is so cute, like when I, when I see my mom at exercise at Appledorn, Tuesday and Thursday, 3 o'clock, they go down for exercise. And one time I stood around the corner because I just had a C, knowing my mom so well. I thought, what does she do at exercise? But I watched this lady, I watched this lady get all of those elderly people, men and women, and she'll say, okay, put your left arm out. And all their arms go out. Okay, put your right arm out. And I know it looked so silly, but I'm telling you, I watched my mom move her legs. I watched my mom move her arms. And I was grateful because they kept her mobile. And then they would keep telling them, okay, even if you have to use your walker, walk down the hallways. Don't just sit in that chair. You will grow weaker and weaker. And then the malnourished. You think about that spiritually. You think about if your spiritual life does not get exercise, if it is malnourished, now how can, how can your soul, how can your new nature, how can you become strong? What's going to make you strong if you need nourishment and exercise to make you strong? What is it that will do those two things? This is it, this book. If you, and so what is my simple de definition of a weak Christian? One who does not study. One who is malnourished. One who does not exercise. And you will get your exercise and your nourishment from the words between these two covers. And yes, it does take time. And yes, it does take effort. And yes, you do have to put something else aside. And maybe you can't watch this or read that. But you are learning that if you want the title Strong Christian, and this is what Paul is assuming that you and I are by now. He is assuming as we have started this letter, we have seen ourselves that no one is righteous, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That by this time he's expecting us to know that we have an old nature and we have a new nature and it's a constant struggle. Remember when he said, oh, if I'm not careful, what a wretch I am, I fall back to that old nature. I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I should do. He already told us that. We've all already been through that. So he says, I'm expecting because by this time, you know this and you are strong. You are nourished. 
you are exercised. And so I have some verses for you just in case you Okay, what makes you a strong Christian is how much you know of this book. And let me, let me just give you these verses that I found. Malachi 3, verse 6. And you can almost, when I read these verses, you can almost feel the strength of them. That that strength, when you take it on as yours makes you strong. So it, it just makes sense. Malachi 3, verse 6, I am the Lord, I do not change. In a changing world, aren't you grateful that you can go to words between two covers that do not change? Psalm 93, verse 5, your word stands firm, O Lord. Again, with everything just moving so fast. This is one thing that doesn't. Psalm 93, verse 5. Psalm 111, verse 75 said, His word is sure. It stands fast forever and ever. John 17, 17. God's word is truth. That's what John says. God's word is truth. Here's what Peter said, 1 Peter 1.23. The word of God lives and abides forever and ever. And then this is Jesus. Not that his words are any more important than the others because they're all inspired by him. But, but this is Jesus in Matthew 24, 25. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. That's what he said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will ever pass away. Now, I was, as I was going through this chapter, I was reminded of a time in Judges where, in Judges chapter 2, I got to this verse, and this has just always troubled me, after Moses and after Joshua, it said, after Joshua died, all of Israel did whatever they saw fit. Remember we, we talked about in Romans 13, we talked about that all authority has been given and we talked about how that if we didn't, even if we don't agree, God has put authority over us and if we didn't have it, it'd be chaos. In Judges 17, it said Israel did all what they wanted and it was chaos. But in Judges chapter 2, during, if you ever studied Judges, it's such a dark, dark time of Israel. And in the second chapter, it says that after Joshua died, the next, the very next generation didn't even know about 
Moses, the Red Sea, the Passover, the escape from Egypt, the ten plagues. Can you imagine that? The very next generation didn't even know that. And why is that? Why didn't the next generation know? Because no one told them because they were all doing what they wanted to do. I think that was important. At least that brought my mind to that because if we aren't desiring to become strong Christians, if we don't know the difference, and we just let ourselves remain weak, a weak Christian doesn't really know God's word. It might know a few little self-righteous facts. I'm going to tell you two little stories. I was in a Bible study one time, and we prayed for this lady's daughter for three years. She went wayward, like many children do, and so she was very concerned, like every mother would be. So we prayed every Wednesday morning, we prayed for that daughter. One Wednesday, she came and she says, I just have to tell you the greatest news. My daughter and her boyfriend came to church Sunday morning. Of course, we all clapped. She says, and then we invited them to come over to our house for dinner. And she says, they came for dinner. And she says, at the end of dinner, and then I could see there was a countenance change on her face. She says, at the end of the dinner, my daughter's boyfriend got up and said, thank you so much for such a wonderful morning. I enjoyed church so much, and I certainly appreciated this great dinner, but my brother and I have plans to go fishing this afternoon. And she said, I stood right up and said, we don't do that on Sunday. She said to me, I was right, wasn't I? And I said, no. And that was when I started understanding the difference between a strong Christian and a weak Christian. She is a weak Christian. Here's another example. There was this darling couple. So cute. Okay, they made a mistake. And so, because she's now expecting a baby and they're not married, the rules of this Dutch conservative church is that you need to go and repent before the consistory. And so they do. They go before the consistory. And they confessed and they repented. Now, what does your Bible say, and what does my Bible say, that if we confess, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive. And what does he do with our sin, by the way, once it's confessed and forgiven? He remembers and no more. And what does Psalm 103 tell us about what he does with our sin? As far as the east is from the west, so 
far does he remove our transgressions from us? Now that couple followed the rules. They were forgiven by God. They should have been able to walk out of there feeling the freedom of what forgiveness is like. But instead, one of those elders thought that he knew better than God. That's the only way I can explain it. He must have thought that they needed a little more than what God could do. So he went into their face with his finger and told them the shame that they put on themselves, their parents, and the church. I'm telling you, that cute little couple walked out of that church that night and hasn't returned since. That's one of the questions I asked you. To be content with being a weak Christian, I don't care. I don't care how old that elder was. I don't care how many years he's been an elder. I don't care how many years he sat in that conservative church. He was wrong. And a weak Christian is one who doesn't know because if he would have been a strong Christian, he would have known the words between these two covers. And the words between these two covers say that if you confess, he's faithful and just. I think it is so important that we realize that being a weak Christian, because a weak Christian, unfortunately, a weak Christian is one who thinks they're not. That's the sad thing. They think that one sermon a week and one little devotional in the morning or at mealtime, they think that that's sufficient. They haven't learned that the words between these two covers, well, it changes your life. And that Christianity is something that isn't something you plug in. It's something that you are now. It affects, remember one of the Proverbs that says, we're a new house. And we are established. We are newly established by what? By wisdom. That's what Solomon said. Once you start taking on the words between these two covers, Look what we learned from Proverbs. Look how many two-liners we had. Look how many convicted you and challenged you. We need instruction badly. But those who don't think they do, who just hear what their aging ears want to hear, because no one likes to be convicted, no one likes to be challenged, nobody likes to be reminded that they veered off course and self got in the way. He is expecting you and I to be strong here. And a weak Christian thinks, a weak Christian thinks that they still 
can do things to please the Lord, to make them more righteous before him. When a strong Christian knows there's nothing we can do that can make us right before him. A weak Christian thinks that good deeds are first and then the Lord smiles. A strong Christian knows that salvation is first and we are nothing without him and that because of all what he has done for us, we can't wait to serve him. So, I'm going to start again. He's saying to you and I, all right. Paul is pretty much insinuating, I'm, I'm a strong Christian. And I'm expecting you to be too, but there's a lot of weak ones out there that will never become strong by condemnation. And, and a weak Christian just loves to condemn A weak Christian just loves to put the finger in someone's face. Thursday, I did this lesson, and afterwards, I had a lady come up to me, and you could tell she was so fighting the tears. And she says, I have a 48-year-old daughter. And she was divorced. And she said, my husband and I didn't approve of that at all. And now she has got a new boyfriend and she lives with him. And she says, we keep telling her over and over that this is sin. And then she had the audacity to invite us to spend a week with her and her boyfriend at Gun Lake. She said, how am I supposed to say yes to an invitation like that when I know that her and her boyfriend are in the other room? How am I supposed to say yes to that? And then all of a sudden she couldn't keep the tears back. She says, I've handled this all wrong, haven't I? I just kind of let her figure it out herself. I said, your daughter knows. She says, my daughter's also told me that I'm 48 years old and I can make my own choices. And I said, and your daughter's right. So what are you supposed to do? I can remember a couple that came up to me and said that their son is living a lifestyle that they don't accept. And oh boy, when we did Romans 1, they were really nervous about that. They were really nervous how we were going to handle this. They didn't know that I knew about it. They told me the whole story and I listened. And they said, uh, we, we don't have much to do with them. And I said, Why? Well, we try to send him birthday cards and Christmas cards, but I hear that he, that he doesn't ever open them. I said, in those cards, what do you write? 
Well, we just keep reminding him that he is just not living right. I said, you want my honest opinion? I won't open them either. I won't open those cards because I know it's going to be full of condemnation. Your son knows, but he's weak right now. To that woman Thursday, I said, your daughter knows. She's 48. She knows, but she's weak right now. Now maybe you can understand what Paul is saying here. You who are strong, you who've been set free, you who know that, and did you notice that every word, every word in this book, between every word between these two covers is absolute truth. I read you the verse. John said, absolute truth. But did you ever go into God's word and say, I want to know about fishing on Sunday. I want to know, um, because I don't, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, oh man, if we touched that TV on Sunday. You know, and this is really strange. We could never go swimming except for the two weeks we were on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure you've got stories like that. If you can find in here any place that says, and don't ever turn on the TV, or... Never ever use the internet. Or don't ever swim on Sunday. You won't find it. And you know why? Because this is what he means about passing judgment on disputable matters. It's not in there because what he wants strong Christians to do is to be so confident in all of these words between the two covers and then rely on the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. It is not our job to convict. Now, he's going to make it very clear why he thinks that we as strong Christians better sit up and take notice and realize that we Christians are not in a strong place and they can be easily maneuvered. They are so on the fence. And the way you handle something could really determine which side they go to. And so Paul is trying to say, I want you to get so strong in these principles. Now, I can remember when Paul had to go to Peter. Now, there are times, because I said to that lady about the Gun Lake thing, I surprised the heck out of her and tell her that if the invitation is still open, you can't wait to come. 
I said, and then surprise her by saying, that you love her. I said, try doing what she least expects. She knows. And I said, another thing, surprise her by never bringing it up again. Now, it's one thing, if they don't know, then it is our obligation because Romans 10 says, how can you expect them to know if they don't know? And how are they going to know unless you tell them? And so there comes a time, yep, you have to make sure they know, but then leave it. That's what a strong Christian does. And where do you leave it? Does that mean you just leave it and nothing's going to happen? You leave it where? At the cross. You leave it there. I keep remembering the reason I prayed for Jason 10 minutes every day was not only for that boy, but I had to do it for me because I had to keep surrendering because I still wanted to fix him. And I thought that was my job to fix him. But he's 20-some years old. He's making his own choices. And so I went to his bed, and I prayed and surrendered him and said, Lord, he's he's yours. But through my life, may I live the kind of love you had for me when I didn't deserve it either. That's a strong Christian who trusts the Lord enough to let him work. I remember when Paul had to... Well, I'll get into that. Okay, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable disputable matters. And those are matters that are not written in here. Because he's expecting weak Christians become strong and then the Holy Spirit then will show you what's right and what's not right. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. I hope you underline the next few words. Because what does it say? For God accepted him. Now, does that say that God accepted his sin? No. No, God accepted him. Now, we've said that salvation happens in an instant, but to become Christ-like, to learn how to put the old nature aside and to let the Spirit of God rule that we never disconnect from the Holy Spirit. You tell me how long that takes. It's going to take us all the time while we're here on this earth until we are changed and we're like him. 
But we should always be seeing progress. We should see our weakness turn into strength, and that strength becomes stronger and stronger. We are so sure of him that we allow him to do the changing in people's lives. And we want to live out this life that they can see it in us. Can you imagine when Peter had that vision? And remember that she just came down with all of those unclean animals? And God himself said, Peter, have at it. Fry up the bacon. Can you imagine what a change that was for Peter, for Paul? But see, Paul's writing this, and he is such a strong Christian that he is saying, I have learned it has nothing to do with what you eat or drink, the disputable matters. It has to do with the fact that he bound us all over to disobedience and put every one of us at the cross and said, okay, choice is yours. But there was a time when Peter fell back. He started to preach the message of Jesus. But then he started adding, going back to that old way that Jesus fulfilled And then what did Paul do? He went to Peter and said, we need to talk. So when it comes to non-negotiable matters, when it comes to facts between these two covers that we know, if we have a loved one that doesn't understand, then it it is our responsibility. But to hammer it, to think that it's up to us to change their heart, to be judge and jury with their finger in their face, to never let them see the unconditional love of Christ through us, that is such a weak Christian. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? His own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. We know that the Ten Commandments say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Since the resurrection, Protestants have taken, and we make the first day of the week Sunday, so we don't have a Sabbath. Unless you're a Seventh-day Adventist. It really doesn't matter. But 
wonder if you work on Sunday. Paul is saying, you have to have a day that you put aside and you remember and you refresh and you renew because seven days of work is a workaholic. But I think there's a freedom that comes that if it's not Saturday, then Sunday. And if it's not Sunday, pick your day. Just have a day that you can call the Lord's, that you refresh, that you, that you get to know him better, that you put aside everything else. That's the command. The reason for the command is that we just need to stop our labors enough to be able to recognize who he is and to renew and refresh our spirit. So Paul is saying, don't get so hung up. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day like each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. What do you think Paul is trying to say in all of those words? Is basically, basically saying, your heart your walk with the Lord, your salvation is between you and who? Be, be, between you and him. Paul is trying to get us to see you and have enough to handle keeping your life right with the Lord. But the exciting thing about it is, is when you do, when you're a strong Christian and you're so sure of him and you live him out, that's what they're seeing in you. A strong Christian is one that someone can look at and say, you know what, I like that. I want to be like that. I'm going to find out more about that. A weak Christian is one that falters, flounders, doesn't have the power to keep from temptation and addiction. A weak Christian is condemning. I don't see any freedom there. And I don't see people looking at weak Christians saying, hmm, I want that. A strong Christian, yes, because you're free, because you're sure, 
For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. What word do you think is the all-inclusive word in that sense? For we will all. We will all. So is there any exceptions here? When you read a sentence like that, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Paul does say that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's going to be quite a sight. And those who Jesus says, I never knew you, he will cast them into hell. The judgment seat of Christ. Are you and I going to stand before the Lord and do we have to fear the thought that He will condemn us for sin? No. Because our sin was dealt with when we took that humbling walk to the cross. All of our sin, past, present, future, was dealt with. We will not stand before Him for our sin. That's freedom. However, Paul says, I just want you to know, though, that you will still stand before him. And do you know that we're not going to stand before him as a Monday night Bible study class? No, we're going to stand before him individually. And that's why we take this slow, we take it word for word, Paul says, I want you to know by this time, I want to make sure that you're strong. He's expecting us to be strong, but he knows that there's some of us that are still weak. So he's just making sure without saying it in so many words. He's saying, if you really studied the truth of every line from Romans 1 to now, you'd be strong. But he knows, case scenario, there's probably a few that slacked off and didn't think it meant them. So he says, okay, I'm just going to bring this up again. You will stand before the judgment seat. And if you don't have to stand for your sin, what does that mean then? It means then that you and I, when he calls us by name, he's going to call you by your name. 
And he's going to individually, as he calls you by name, he's going to go like this to you. And according to Revelation, John says that when his hands go out to you, you are going to see something. Because John said, I saw. I saw the lamb as if it had been slain. Revelation chapter 5 says that. What does that mean? What does it mean when John said, I saw a lamb as if he had been slain? When Jesus held out his arms to John, what did John see? The scars. He saw the scars. So here you go. All will stand before the judgment. Yep, we got our ticket. He will not say to us, go to hell. Instead, he'll welcome us because what did he say? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when, when I come, I'll receive you unto myself that where I am there, you will be also. And we know that. So he's going to welcome us. That's what the judgment seat is. He welcomes us. But he's going to do it with his open palms and we're going to be reminded of what he did. And that's when your and my life is going to flash in front of us. And what is the judgment seat? It's there where he hands out. I think this is where he hands out the prizes. Because what's going to happen right there? It's when we give back to him what we've done for him. After our walk to Calvary, after he became King of kings and Lord of lords, after he became our Savior. Paul is saying, I just want to remind you, you are going to be confronted with him. And did your salvation mean anything to you that it was worth what I said back in Romans chapter 8 or in Romans chapter 12 in view of his grace and mercy you offered yourself back to him as a living sacrifice did you do that because you were so grateful because what you did with him after you got your ticket did it mean so much to you that your life changed? You wanted to learn how he wanted you to live. He wanted you to learn how he wanted you to serve. He wanted you to learn how you and your countenance, in your actions, in your testimony, could teach your children and your grandchildren. Did that mean anything to you? Did your life do anything? When you see him with his hands open, this is when you are going to decide, what have I got to give him? That's all Paul's trying to say. And while you still got time, because it is going to be nothing short of complete embarrassment. If you thought you could get your ticket and never learn about old and new nature, old is crucified, 
new has come. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ living in me. And there was a change, a definite, gradual change as I learned the wisdom of God. I couldn't help but change. And then my life took a whole different direction. This is what we offer him. And what is the prize? I don't know. I think, wonder, wonder if he takes a look at you. And maybe you didn't gain any accolades. Maybe no one knew what you did. Maybe you did things so anonymously. Maybe no one gave you praise. Because even your work ethic, according to Solomon, you did it for him. And maybe it had become somebody in the world's eyes because you realized that Solomon said, maybe you're just a poor man. Maybe you're not wise like the wise in their own eyes. I couldn't help it last week when I read that proverb. And I watched a little bit about about Hollywood, and I watched a little bit about athletes, and I watched about how people looked at these people as heroes, and how wise they are in their own eyes. And I'm sitting there, a nobody, as far as the world's concerned. But I looked through all of that as nonsense. And I realized what really counts. And what really matters. Maybe the prize. Maybe the prize is when he says, I saw that. And he says, thank you. If you get a thank you from the Lord Jesus, do you think that's a reward? wonder if he says, I saw how hard you worked. I saw the way those kids took you for granted. I saw how faithful you were to those grandkids. I saw the time you gave. I saw what you did for that neighbor. I wonder if he says, well done. Oh, man, I'll tell you, to me, the thought of that reality, I'm going to stand before him, and he's going to open his scarred hands to me, and I want a prize. I want a prize from him, because he's so worth it. Therefore, oh, therefore, let us stop passing judgment. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Okay, now he's going to take a little twist in the road here. He says, as one who is in the Lord Jesus... Is that a wonderful compliment or what? 
man, I put yellow all through that. Because I want that to be me. Because he's talking about himself there. As one who is in the Lord Jesus. I am so fully convinced. See, Paul used those words. He used words like convinced, no, I've learned. Paul uses those words a lot because he knew that it took a lot. It took a lot of, it took a lot of learning. It took a lot of self-denial. It took a lot of hard times. It took a lot of shipwrecks. It took a lot of taking it under the chin. It took a lot of being misunderstood. But he said, all of that, it got me to the point where I am in the Lord Jesus. I am fully convinced. You, now, this, this is what freedom looks like. I am fully convinced that no food is unclean. About this time I start, I let, I let my mind travel. And I'm thinking, for a man who never was able to have bacon, he has learned and acquired a taste for it. He likes it. And he, and he knows that it has nothing to do with being in the Lord Jesus. Because as a strong Christian, he knows it has all to do with the cross. And his choosing to walk the road, to accept the grace, to be changed by the Spirit, to be empowered by that Spirit, I don't have to I don't have to think about those disputable things that the Bible doesn't even talk about anymore. Because Jesus fulfilled it all. Those five hundred some mosaic laws back in Leviticus, the people need that to keep their lives right in a sacrificial way because it all was leading to Jesus. But once Jesus came, that was all done. Now the Ten Commandments, that's God's commandments. That doesn't change. That's different. But he says, you know what? A strong Christian wants to stay in the fence. And that's what the commandments are. They keep you in a fence. Because you understand your human nature. And you know that if you step out of his perimeter, you are on your own. And you're nothing but a dumb little sheep that falls on its back and doesn't have the sense enough to know how to flip over. A strong Christian knows I want to stay within the wisdom and the commands of God. But he says, 
okay, so I like bacon. So I'm not caught up with any of those disputable things that God deals with each one of us individually on. That's why it's not in there. Because we're all on different levels. If anybody regards something as unclean, then for him it's unclean. That's where they are right now. It's like that lady Thursday. Your daughter's weak right now. She knows. Now you show her the unconditional grace, that undeserved favor that Jesus had for you. Now you show it for her. And as that grace changed your life, maybe the way you operate toward her, she'll see Jesus in you. If your brother's distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Paul is saying, you know what? So I like bacon. But my weaker brother hasn't gotten to that freedom yet. He's still trying to do the things that he thinks the Lord will be more pleased with. He doesn't know that freedom in Christ has nothing to do with what we eat or drink or it has to do with God's spirit and his convicting power. You are not showing love if you get stubborn and say, well, you know what? I like bacon. I've learned that has nothing to do with my salvation. And so whether you believe it or not, sorry, chomp. That is about as unloving as you can get. Because what should be your desire for a weak Christian? That he become what? A strong one. And condemnation will never bring him. Because what will condemnation do? Make him weaker or push him farther away. Paul says, what is your goal What is your priority? He's saying, if you don't care about that person, because you've you've discovered the freedom, you've just fallen into weakness, because strength means you're willing to put yourself aside. Now, I went back because he talks about eat or drink. And I know because I got notes this week. It's a major thing. This old drinking thing. Some doesn't mean anything. I don't see any problem with it. I don't know if you went back to Proverbs. Apparently Solomon, the smartest man in the world, apparently God had Solomon write enough about drinking that it shows that it's dangerous. Now I told you, I've admitted to you, I don't at all because of alcoholism in my family, and I don't know, but even on a more... It's because of this chapter. Tom and I went on a cruise once. 
you know, I've, I've been a public figure in this small town for a, a lot of years. And if people didn't find stuff on me, they'd make it up. I, I've just been through it. I've gotten to the point where I know my heart. The Lord knows my heart. But I remember when we got on that cruise, there was about 3,000 people on it. And Tom looked at me and said, doesn't it feel wonderful? No one knows us. And it did. I mean, it did feel kind of good. And yet, we didn't change our ways. And it was about three days into the cruise, we were sitting at our table, and here comes this older couple. And they said, Are you Tamil and Al Pierce? <laughs> We said, yes, we are. And they, they said, we're so-and-so from Cedar Grove, Wisconsin. Now, if you've ever been to Cedar Grove, Wisconsin, they don't come any more Dutch, conservative, legalistic, little town. Everybody knows everybody. I've sung in every church in the town. And they said, we've been watching you. Now, this couple's a weak Christian, and we know that. And they were watching us because they were weak. And they knew what we always did and said and sang when we came there. And they just wanted to see. They just wanted to see, okay, she doesn't know anybody. She's got the freedom to do whatever she wants here. Let's just see. Because see, they saw us the first day. They admitted it. But they didn't come to us until the third day. I think this is what Paul is saying. Sometimes you know people are watching you because it's your town. But you just don't know who does know you and how much you have worn that name Christian and they expect and that's what Paul says isn't worth it to you if somebody is watching you and you might not know who they are but just the thought that somebody there because they're weak and they don't even realize it they're looking at you and it's going to determine oh uh, let me tell you they just were waiting to go back to Cedar Grove to say do we ever have news for you and we Christians believe it or not or no Christian at all they're just playing the game they just can't wait to find trouble. They can't wait to say, see, it doesn't work. Our lives can prove, see, it does. And I care enough, my whole objective in life is to make sure that whether people know me or don't know me, somehow something says something's different. Maybe they don't even understand what it is. 
I'll never forget when I sang acapella, Amazing Grace, for 30,000 MetLife people. I'll never forget it. People are searching. And when you, through your life, can show them, because believe it or not, it shows in every area of your body because we're a new house established by wisdom with every room filled with treasures. And that's Jesus. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Not only are you... If you're living a life not to please yourself, you're living a life because you believe someone could be watching me. And I want to live out Jesus to them. I don't want to push them away by my lifestyle. I want to welcome them. I want them to ask. I want them to think that they can come to me and wonder why I have the peace that I have and the joy that I have. I don't want to be responsible for pushing him away. Because I cause doubt on a disputable issue. Is my life about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? Because anyone who serves Christ, Paul says, this doesn't matter to you. It matters to me that my life pleases him. And you know that when you live a righteous life, it not only pleases Christ, but you're approved by men. They don't have anything. They don't have any goods on you. Okay, then they might have to lie. But then so be it. You know it's a lie. The Lord knows it's a lie. What does it matter? Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food or whatever you want to put in there. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Because his life should matter more to you than this. Let me read this to you. Who has woe? Proverbs 23. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Everybody. 
Okay. Solomon's saying, everybody's got problems. How are you dealing with them? Who are you dealing them? Who are you dealing them with? Or what are you using to numb yourself? Look at he says. Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Remember when we did that? In the end, it bites like a snake. It poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights. Your mind Imagine confusing things. You would be like one sleeping on the high seats, lying on top of the rigging. You will say, they hit me, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. See? Oh, it worked. It numbed my pain. But then Solomon ends the chapter by saying, but when I wake up, so I can find another drink. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. Paul is saying, this is what a weak Christian is. He thinks he's got to be doing things. He thinks he's got to be... It doesn't say, don't turn the TV on. But what does the Bible say? Whatever you do, Fill your heart with good things, pure things, things that are right, things that are good, things that are noble. See? Then Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit will say, oh, better turn it off. That's not doing my heart any good. Or does he say, no, don't go search that internet. No, he doesn't. But he says, but don't fill your mind with things that could cause you to be pulled away from me. See, that's why disputable things aren't in there. Because if you know the words between cover to cover, the Holy Spirit will have what it takes to say, nope, not good for you. Nope, not right. Nope, someone might see. Could be a stumbling block. A weak Christian could be looking at you and because they're still in that shallow, they're going to look at you and say, just look at them. So he ends by saying, but the man who has doubts is condemned. If he eats because his eating doesn't have anything to do with his faith, he's still thinking he needs to please God by his deeds. When Hebrews 6 says, the only thing that can please God is when we live by our faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So Paul is saying, I expect you to be strong 
And I expect the desire of your heart is to live a life that draws people to Jesus and doesn't push them away by critical, judgmental, love them to Jesus. That's the way you came to them. Good lesson. Have a good week.